0: I'm Rachel, and I'm Leah, and And this this is Hashtag Hashtag History. History, the podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike,
1: where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Hey guys, this is Hashtag History episode 33. This is Rachel.
0: And this is Leah. You switched it up on us. Just a tiny, just a tiny, tiny. (laughs) Just a tiny, tiny. As I believe you all know
1: by now, we record several episodes in a row because we are both type A anal over planners that must be at least a month ahead of schedule or we freak out, right?
0: And I'm freaking out right now because I have to edit the first one we recorded tonight by next week
1: correct so we're we're measured type a over planners Mm -hmm. um and we're coming at you still under lockdown restrictions leah and i are still not sitting across from each other in the same physical location we are still recording this remotely and i am still very sad (laughs) So sad.
0: Mostly just because you ate a raw egg white because we, I wasn't there in person to tell you that you should mix it instead of just stirring it.
1: Yeah, if you listened to last week's episode, there was an egg white in our drink, and I didn't mix it appropriately, and all the egg was down at the bottom, and I drank the whole egg by itself. It was really <laughs> awful. But again... We are under lockdown restrictions. We're recording remotely. I'm really hoping that maybe by the next batch of episodes we record that maybe we're allowed
0: to hang out again. God, I flippin' hope so. Okay.
1: I hope so. It's, It's really, like, beyond sad to not record together. I don't know if you guys understand just how much fun we have recording these episodes, especially when we record them in bulk like this, because... By the end, we are wasted.
0: My favorite memory was um, after one of these recording sessions, (laughs) you're walking out the door carrying all the leftover alcohol, including like a bottle of Prosecco, I believe, or or, yeah. And she like bends over to pick something up. And I think the motion shook up the Prosecco enough that it pressurized and it shot the top off and it shot your... into the trees or on the roof or something right
1: yes and I was very embarrassed and um, that bag that I had also had all of my podcast gear in it and it literally just exploded in an instant but yeah so you guys since we are recording um, remotely I am all by my lonesome in a little room in my house with a picture of Abraham Lincoln staring back at me
0: Yeah, he's a little creepy sometimes.
1: Yeah, so with all of that being said, we are still here, we are still showing up and pushing out episodes, and we are so, so thankful for all of you amazing listeners for supporting us during this crazy time in our world and tuning in. One of our amazing listeners is Tyler from the Talking Fail podcast and the Discographers podcast. Yes, he is an overachiever and has two podcasts. He has been a super supportive listener since the very beginning, and has been super helpful with all sorts of things, particularly audio assistance, because he is a tech god. (laughs) I also got to be a guest speaker on his Talking Phil podcast a few months ago, so be sure to check out episode 136 of the Talking Phil podcast if you would like to hear my voice even more. And Actually, breaking news. As of today, Leah and I are working on a crossover episode with Tyler on his discographer podcast, in which we are going to be covering a very famous singer and his very mysterious death.
0: I'm actually very excited. I'm I'm so excited, but I digress. Why are
1: we talking about Tyler other than because he is an all around awesome person and we love to give shout outs to our listeners? It is because this week's topic that we are covering is one that he recommended. Granted, it is a dark and creepy historical mystery, so it was obviously already on my radar and already on our ever-growing list of potential topics to cover, but on that particular episode of Talking Fail that I was on, he suggested this week's topic, and it reignited the fire to get moving with it. So thank you, Tyler. Yes, thanks, Tyler. So what is this dark and creepy historical mystery I speak of? It is the true story that occurred in February of 1959 when nine experienced hikers were found dead along what is known as Dyatlov Pass in the northern Ural Mountains. It was found that their tents had been torn from the inside and were hurriedly escaped. It was horrifically cold at this time and all hikers, not even remotely dressed for the sub-zero temperatures, died of hypothermia but in addition to hypothermia two of the hikers were found to have fractured skulls two other hikers were found to have severe chest fractures one hiker was missing both eyeballs and one of the hikers was missing her tongue w t f indeed an investigation was opened by the soviets but to this day no one knows what happened Again, (laughs) WTF. If you've listened to the show for any period of time, and by that I mean you have listened to literally more than one episode, you know that with that horrifying introduction, it is now time
0: for a drink. (laughs) (laughs) So this week's cocktail is my own personal take on a cocktail called the Siberian Sling simply because Russia. Russia. (laughs) So this cocktail contains an ounce of fresh lime juice, two ounces of vodka, three-fourths ounces of ginger syrup, and then soda water or seltzer, and then Optional tarragon leaves as a garnish. But honestly, who has the option of going out and getting tarragon leaves right now?
1: Yeah, no. I I fortunately had the majority of those other things already. And might I add that I am really freaking excited about a cocktail that does not have gin in it, as we have had for the last two episodes.
0: Yeah. Vodka is not my favorite, but I feel like when it's mixed with good stuff, then I just don't taste it and it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay so we trying this thing
0: let's do it cheers cheers i should say that i smell i was not excited about it and then i smelled it and it smelled good so i think you tell me what you think it's delicious oh yeah it's refreshing i love it
1: i love it i think is it is is it ginger syrup and everything is just so good
0: i love ginger syrup ginger beer ginger everything
1: yeah I think so what would you give this one? I feel like I'd give it like a I feel like I'd give it a 7 out of 10 not because it doesn't taste good but just cuz like my favorite things are not in this drink.
0: Yeah, I I think 7.5. Okay.
1: I can support that decision.
0: Okay. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have any history on it. I'm sorry, because I kind of made my own. Maybe that's why I didn't do any research. I don't remember. It was weeks ago.
1: And we're all quarantining. Who knows what day it is and what week it is and
0: what else? Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep.
1: Okay. So where do we even freaking begin with this incident we're talking about today? The year is 1959, and a man by the name of Igor Dyatlov... Does that name sound familiar? (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Moving on. Igor is 23 years old and is studying radio engineering at Ural Polytechnical Institute. Igor is the one that put together this group of nine hikers, all of whom were also students at the Institute and all of whom were grade two hikers. Upon completion of this particular trip that Igor was taking them on would earn their grade three hiking certifications. Not even remotely knowing what that means, because as opposed to Leah, when I go on a hike, that mostly just means I was trying to get from one place to another, and it ended up involving a lot more effort and sweat than I had initially signed up for. (laughs) Um, I I did attempt to look up what the different grades of hiking certifications are, but it varies based on countries, Mm -hmm. and it has, of course, changed over the course of the years. At the time of the incident we're talking about in today's episode, a grade three certification was in the Soviet Union, the highest level of hiking certification you could receive, and essentially required that you travel 300 kilometers, which is the rough equivalent of 186 miles. So I'm going to pass on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, even me as a person who likes hiking is probably going to pass on that. And
1: I feel, yeah, I think maybe this is going to be... This is going to be some good discussion in this episode because Leah does enjoy hiking. I don't want to say that I don't enjoy hiking, but maybe I don't. Like, I do enjoy physical activity. We were just talking about this. I go on, like, runs every day. I go, since quarantining, I go on bike rides every day. We both participate in dance classes. So I obviously, like, enjoy cardio and endurance. But I don't know what it is about hikes. I love nature, and I like walking, but they're, I don't know. I just don't, I'm not a hiker. I'm like, what is
0: there not to like if you, if you enjoy, if you enjoy exercise and you enjoy nature? I'm kind of perplexed right now.
1: I know. I know, but I have to
0: take you on a hike.
1: Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I just haven't been with the right person. (laughs) Okay. Leah, Leah goes on like a cool hike, at least like I feel like once a month.
0: No, I wish I did. It ends up only being a few times a year. But um, if I had my way, it would be once a month.
1: That's cool. So maybe you're going to be able to, like, jump in and help with some terminology and stuff. Because truthfully, I have no idea what I'm talking about as far as hikes go here. I mean, I don't.
0: I'm probably not. But okay. (laughs) You've you've never hiked the Ural Mountains? And I've never tried to get a certification in it either. (laughs) Okay, so we start out this trip with
1: eight male and two female hikers embarking on this grade three trip. And if that math sounds a little off, because remember, earlier I mentioned that this incident involved nine hikers, do not fret. I am literally just about to explain why that is right here, right now. The group arrived by train to a town called Ifdel on January 25th, 1959. One member of the group, Yuri Yudin... There are a lot of Yuris on this trip, Leah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> he was suffering from some pretty severe joint pain, and a few days into the hike decided to return home. And lucky guy, might I add, because he's the only guy that is still alive from after that incident. Yeah.
0: My gosh.
1: <laughs> By February 1st, the group of now nine have made it to the pass now known as Diatlov Pass, but due to the weather conditions, they were unable to cross it in one day and instead chose to make camp along the mountain slope there. Here, I would like to add that the mountain slope that they camped at was called, and excuse my incorrect pronunciation, it was called Kolat which translates to dead mountain. And the whole intent of this trip was to reach what was, again, excuse my pronunciation, gora o Mountain, which in English translates to don't go there. So
0: there's that. Um, it's literally called don't go there.
1: Don't go there to the dead mountain.
0: That's really actually h- hilarious.
1: Yeah. Like in a very morbid way, it's hilarious. Yeah. Now, we know all of this up to this point about the hikers stopping to camp along the mountain slope because several of the hikers brought diaries or cameras along with them to document their movements. In fact, the hikers were actually keeping a communal diary that they formatted to look like a daily newspaper where they all shared little bits and pieces regarding their trip, which is really stupid cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, though, none of these means of documentation thoroughly explain why the group would decide to make camp alongside the mountain slope, which provided next to no protection from the brutal weather. It is assumed that perhaps the group didn't want to lose altitude by moving downhill by about a mile, which would have provided greater weather protection. And I get that. <laughs> not wanting <laughs> not wanting to substra- subtract a mile and then add a mile onto your trip. There's also the theory that obviously these were some pretty badass people and perhaps the idea of camping on a mountain slope provided an exciting challenge for them. And that's the last thing we know. Now, remember that this trip began on February 1st. It wasn't until February 20th that family and friends started demanding that officials do a search for the hikers. This may seem like an extra long time to wait to conduct such a search, But it isn't really that odd. Diotlov himself had expected the trip to take at least two to three weeks. And with any hiking expedition, there is always the wiggle room of a few days. But now here we are about three weeks since the hikers began their trip and no one has heard from them. On February 26th, a discovery was made. Searchers located the tent that the hikers had been staying in alongside the mountain slope and found it to be covered in snow and cut from the inside. W.T.F.
0: I'm going to count how many times you say WTF in this episode.
1: It's going to be 7 million <laughs> of all the mysteries in this case. That one just keeps hitting me the strongest. What would cause a group of people staying inside their tents during a winter storm to cut their way out of the tent from the
0: inside? I have many theories. But okay. We'll, we'll get to those. I, I can't
1: wait to hear them because it blows my freaking mind. <laughs> Okay, Leah, there's a picture of the tent um, where the searchers found it later. I've uploaded it for you to check out. Okay, I see it.
0: Okay, what am I looking at? <laughs> <laughs>
1: this <is the> tent. <laughs> Basically, um, this is how they found it. Like covered in snow, they
0: ended up finding it cut from the inside. Okay, well, my first thought with the covered in snow thing is it's like, okay, it's been three weeks, so sure, it's been covered in snow because sure, probably snowed. Um, cut from the inside. I don't know what they were doing. Obviously, we might dig into this more, but cut from the inside, if if you're like struggling with the zipper or the zipper has been like melted or something, I could see cutting yourself out of a tent. That's my that's my theory. But what would provoke them to do that? Well, we'll see. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: we won't, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> we will talk about it
1: and come up with our own theories. Yes. Okay, so the searchers were also able, after they found this tent, they were also able to find sets of footprints leading away
0: from the tent into a nearby woodsy area. Okay, so actually, if there's footprints, that means there hasn't been snow since this happened. If there's still footprints.
1: Excellent, excellent, excellent point, Detective Walcones. (laughs) I do want to say in relation to those footprints, they only found eight to nine sets of footprints. So it doesn't provide the theory that someone came and did something to them or something or someone did. If there were only eight or nine sets of footprints that they found, that's how many hikers there were.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Now, when they examined these footprints, they found that the majority of the footprints were made by people who were wearing socks, some wearing only one shoe or barefoot entirely. So, again, what would cause a group of people, especially experienced hikers, to escape from their tents in such a rush that they weren't even able to properly clothe themselves at a bare minimum, put shoes on?
0: I mean, it has to be something scared them. That's the only explanation, right?
1: Right. Right. <laughs> <What>?
0: Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I agree. Something that they were like completely alarmed and shocked by. They needed to cut themselves out of their tent and book it. Yeah. The other thing that I, when I was doing a lot of research, investigators found that the footprints weren't necessarily hurried footprints. They seemed as if they were just simple, casual walks.
0: Okay, that's creepy. I know you said this like creeped you out and it's I get it that now.
1: Yeah, I did text Leah and let her know that I couldn't even take a shower in my house by myself um because this researching this episode really creeped me out.
0: Yeah. I get it.
1: So here's to hoping you are all listening to this in daylight and with people around you. <laughs> Okay, so the searchers followed those footprints into a woodsy area and made a grim discovery nearby what looked like a makeshift campsite with a little fire. It was here that they found the bodies of two of the hikers, completely naked, with the exception of their underwear.
0: Uh Uh-huh, why? Yeah.
1: And then, ranging from approximately 1,000 to 2,000 feet away, they found the bodies of three more hikers, this group including Diotlov himself, all poorly clothed and all dead by what was presumed to be hypothermia. That is, with the exception of one body that had a small fracture to the skull. Is this a big deal? I think so, but some people think not. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. It was a really minor fracture skull and likely not the cause of death. Hey, guys, it's Rachel. Now, you know, on the Hashtag History Podcast, we are all about girl power. Something else we are all about is entrepreneurship, building multiple streams of income, and creating flexibility in your work lifestyle. That's why I am so excited to introduce you to the Girl Means Business podcast. It's a weekly podcast hosted by former teacher turned entrepreneur, Kendra Swalls. Each week, Kendra and her guest share business and marketing tips, along with honest conversations about what it means to be a boss babe, balancing a business while still having a life. For any other podcasters and entrepreneurs out there, I think you could all take something away from one of my personal favorite episodes called How I Use Instagram to Grow My Business. Or something that could come in handy for many of us during this time of quarantine is Kendra's episode titled A Work From Home Survival Guide. New episodes go live every Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else that you listen to your favorite podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you get notified when new episodes go live, and check out the Girl Means Business Facebook group for bonus materials and more in-depth conversations. Check out girlmeansbusiness.com slash podcast for all the details. It would take another three plus months to locate the remaining bodies. And this is where shit gets crazy. This is where shit gets crazy, guys. This is where. Yeah, it wasn't before. No. Uh huh. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right now. (sighs) Now, the four remaining bodies were found hundreds of feet away from the others and underneath 13 feet of snow. Still not dressed appropriately for the conditions, these bodies were better dressed than the others that had previously been found. In fact, these bodies were found to be wearing some of the clothing of those that had been previously found, which suggests that perhaps this latter group had survived longer and had taken that first group's clothing to protect themselves against the harsh winter. And is it just me or are you, Leah, getting some serious Donner Party vibes right now? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you guys haven't done so yet, we covered the Donner Party last season in episode 27, and that was some crazy shit. (laughs) But to get back to this crazy shit, not only were the four remaining bodies found hundreds of feet away under a dozen feet of snow, these four did not die from hypothermia. They were found to have severe fatal injuries. One had a major skull injury while two others had chest trauma so severe that it looked like someone had quite literally tried to rip open their chest on the inside. One of the women in the group was missing her tongue and eyeballs Another in the group was missing eyeballs, and yet another was missing their eyebrows. WTF! <laughs> I actually hadn't
0: heard about the eyebrows before. That's.
1: Okay, but all four bodies appeared to have sustained damages to their head and face, but the majority of the trauma was internal. An autopsy that was later conducted on these four individuals also found traces of radiation on their bodies and clothing. W.T.F. Number seven million. Yeah. And that is the end of the story. Almost. At the time, the Soviet Union concluded that the group of hikers had died as a result of bunny ears here, natural force, whatever that is supposed to mean. And they closed their files to the public cover-up conspiracy or question mark. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) These files remain closed until the 1970s. Obviously, there's a reason why this incident continues to haunt us. It is an unsolved mystery to this day. What happened to these hikers? What made them cut through the tents and flee without proper clothing, without shoes, into freezing weather? What happened to make them travel away from the campsite, establish a new campsite elsewhere, and die there practically naked? And what happened to cause such severe cranial and ribcage trauma and to cause someone's tongue and eyeballs to go missing? What is happening here? (laughs) Of course, there are a dozen and one different theories each varying in absurdity, that Leah and I decided to tag team on so that we could hit a bunch of them. So, Leah, do you want to start? Yes.
0: So, the first hypothesis is the Yeti hypothesis. And it, oh my God. Yeah. And it makes me giggle. But, you know, who knows, right? Who knows? No one knows. So, this hypothesis surrounds the idea that the hikers must have been running away from someone or something. <gasps> This hypothesis was kind of hard for me to even lightweight substantiate since the majority of the sources were like Daily Mail and the Discovery Channel's documentary, and I use documentary with air quotes around it, um, (laughs) entitled Russian Yeti, The Killer Lives. Regardless, here (laughs) it is. Russian folklore in the area tells tales of the Yeti, or as they called it, the Mank, in Siberia. So this would explain why three of the hikers were found in a, quote, den with severe injuries to their bodies and one missing tongue. Ugh. Ugh. You can see why Yeti conspiracy theories might latch on to this incident as proof, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, there is one piece of evidence that might substantiate this theory. Um, this image we will share, um, is from one of the hikers' cameras. As Rachel mentioned, they uh, were documenting the trip throughout. And according to Yetiists, it's proof of a (laughs) a big-footed monster. Rachel, would you like to describe it for them?
1: I would love to because I am familiar with this picture. And to me, it just looks like a human in a snow jacket. (laughs) Um, We will post this picture to Instagram for you guys to check out and have your own theories and thoughts and opinions but it 100 percent looks like a human being in a snow jacket kind of peeking around a tree
0: yeah so literally the next line that i wrote in preparation was i personally think it looks like an average sized guy in a snow coat
1: but who knows who knows guys okay so i think all of the theories are ridiculous but The one that I'm going to share next is perhaps one that holds some weight, question mark, question mark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Unlike the Yeti theory, this one we at least know does involve a natural force that is proven to be real and we know exists. So there's (laughs) that. There is that. (laughs) This is the avalanche theory. The avalanche theory summed up is that the hikers were in their tent and were somehow alarmed and made aware that an avalanche was coming down in a hurry. They cut out of their tent and took off before grabbing shoes or jackets. They hurried several feet away to get away from the avalanche only to be crushed by it, which would explain those last four bodies found under feet of snow with crushed body parts While this theory can, in some regards, make the most sense, it still does not explain the radioactivity found on the hikers, nor does it explain how someone's tongue and eyeballs go missing. Additionally, it is said that an avalanche has never, ever occurred in these mountains for hundreds of years. There was no report of an avalanche in
0: 1959. And on to the next theory, Leah. Um, This theory is a little more plausible than the Yeti. Probably not as plausible as an avalanche, though. Okay, I'm ready. But I don't know. I think this is the one that conspiracy theorists would like the most, especially, you know, blaming it on the Soviet government or something. I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, speculation exists that the hikers campsite fell within the path of a Soviet parachute mine exercise. This theory speculates that the hikers were suddenly awoken by loud explosions and then fled the tent shoeless and panicked, and then either got lost or simply couldn't make their way back to the tents. Some members tried to endure the bombardment and were subsequently killed. The remaining group took their clothes and sought shelter, only to be fatally injured themselves. According to Keith McCloskey in Mountain of the Dead, The Dyatlov Pass incident. There are indeed records of parachute mines being tested by the Soviet military in the area around the time the hikers were there. That's the most substantiated evidence I have found, though. Yeah. Parachute mines detonate while still in the air rather than upon striking the ground, and they produce injuries similar to those experienced by the hikers. So like internal damage mm-hmm. with comparably less external trauma. So this theory coincides with reported sightings from other groups. I think there's um, natives that live in the area Yes. that um, also claim they saw orange orbs floating or falling in the sky within the general vicinity of the hikers.
1: Correct. I have heard other theories of other people in the area at the time that also saw those floating orbs. Okay, so this is the final theory that we're going to talk about on this episode. And this is maybe my favorite theory just because it's cool and weird and psychological. Yeah. This is the theory of infrasound. If you've never heard of infrasound before you're not alone. I will give you the Cliff Notes version. Basically, infrasound is a low frequency sound wave that is lower than the limit of audibility. Basically, it's a sound wave with such a low frequency that is there, but you cannot necessarily hear it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Okay, so... There is a phenomenon known as Carmen Vortex Street in which sound waves,
0: a.k.a. the wind... What? That's a place. That's not a phenomenon. That's what it's called. I believe you. It just sounds like a place. It's a street.
1: The the Carmen Vortex Street <laughs> it is a phenomenon where sound waves, in this case we're referring to the wind, flow over an object such as a mountain and create infrasound Because the frequency of infrasound is so low, but it's still there, even if a human cannot necessarily perceive it, could it be possible that the hikers were driven to hysteria as a result of this infrasound? A low humming sound that is always there, even when you cannot perceive it. There are supposedly studies that have revealed that infrasound has been linked to severe psychological symptoms in humans, ranging from simple annoyance all the way to full-blown hysteria. And then again, there are also theories that completely disagree with this and state that there has never been such symptoms exhibited in humans as a result of infrasound. But that's as far as this theory goes. It's kind of a letdown, right?
0: I mean... No, (laughs) I guess the way that this theory
1: goes, the hikers driven mad by the infrasound flee their tents, maybe move to a different location where they can't hear the sound anymore and then die of hypothermia there. This theory, again, though, does not account for the radiation, nor does it account for the missing tongue and eyeballs.
0: If I'm being honest, the missing tongue and eyeballs, not the eyebrows, who knows what the <laughs> F that is. <laughs> the other things, I feel like that could be attributed to like a wolf or a fox or a bird. Really? Even. Yeah, like they're known to just. After the fact. After the fact, yeah. Like there's a corpse there, and then they are like, hey, there's some good looking organs. So okay. I'm chew on that. Um, Okay, that's food for thought. Yeah. And food for the wolves, too. And food for the wolves. Um, (laughs) But again, that doesn't count for the radiation. That doesn't count for why they were without clothes to begin with.
1: Or why they were so alarmed to cut their way out of their tents. Yeah. So they're they're really, you guys, they're like
0: a million and one theories Mm -hmm. about what happened to these hikers. One that you didn't mention is... Again, I mentioned like the natives in the area. Isn't there like a theory that they might have killed them? Correct. Or there's one that there's like just they were just like quarreling. It was like a lover's quarrel that got out of hand or something.
1: 100%. So there are Uh theories that the natives um, did killed them. That one in particular is really insensitive to me just because the natives were actually, they had never had any history of doing anything to any other hikers. And because the hike, the natives were actually some of the first people to help search for the hikers when it was raised that perhaps they were missing. And then in relation to like a lover's quarrel or um, some kind of tension within the group, I am just about to get to that. Oh, So there are really, you guys, like a million and one theories to address. We could only hit a couple. But the Russian government actually, in fact, ended up coming up with a total of 75 different theories about what happened to these hikers in just 2019. So only a year ago now, although the year 2020 already feels like a decade already. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the Russian government reopened the investigation into the Dyatlov incident. 60 years to the day of the incident, they reopened it. Now, before you get too excited about this new investigation, listen to this. Although Russia's prosecutor general stated that the agency had some 75 theories ranging all the way from a government cover-up to alien abduction they announced that they would only be investigating three of those possible theories. Three out of 75. (sighs) Okay, you ready to hear which three they investigated? I'm going to
0: guess like nothing
1: supernatural. You're you're 100% right. These were the three that they focused on. One, an avalanche. Two, a snow slab. And three, a hurricane.
0: Nothing that might implicate A cover-up by their government? Interesting.
1: Not at all. The Prosecutor General's Office, in fact, actually said that there was no crime or cover-up whatsoever. They would not even consider those theories. They were absolutely convinced, or as they stated to the public, that the deaths of the hikers occurred as a result of a natural force. Now, we already know the holes we can poke in the avalanche theory, The snow slab is essentially the same theory, except that a snow slab is like one huge chunk of snow that breaks off from a mountain and falls off. And then the hurricane theory, really, really, (laughs) there are still so many theories we didn't even get into in this episode. Like Leah mentioned, there is one theory that, um, One of these hikers that went on this hike, he actually wasn't a student or a graduate of the university. He was actually a total stranger that ended up joining the group just days before they took off. Is it possible that this guy was a psychopath and went off on the rest of the group? Is it possible that tension built amongst all the hikers and then he went crazy or they all went crazy on each other, a.k.a. the daughter party? (laughs) Diaries of the hikers were made public, and there are excerpts from one of the women in which she states that the men are driving her bat shit crazy. Like, so
0: what else is new? I was going to say, that's something I say on the daily.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine being one of the few women in a group of a shit ton of men? Nah. No, there are also theories that perhaps this stranger that joined their group was an undercover agent. And this was all some mass government conspiracy. The truth is, you guys, we may never know. Ugh, I hate that. <sighs> I hate it because now that's going to stick in your brain forever. <laughs> well thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of hashtag history again we are really thinking of you guys during this time with everything that's going on with the coronavirus pandemic and we just want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast and being so supportive and tuning in and as always we will post the pictures from this episode to our instagram and then all sources used to put this episode together can be found on our website if you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor and subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use, share it with a friend and give us a rate and review. And again, like I shared in last week's episode, please really do give us a rating review. We don't just say that because it makes us feel better, although of course it does. Um, but because that is how people find our podcast, the algorithms are based off of the number of ratings and reviews that podcasts receive. So Please go and give us a rate and review now.
0: Yes, please do. And be sure to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore
1: podcast. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Basically the, whoops, hold on. Not basically. That is the word because. <laughs>
0: I thought you were just, you know, going off the cuff. Nope, I wasn't, was
1: not ad-libbing. Just can't tell the difference between the word basically and because. Okay. I have pronounced diatlov correctly every single time in this episode. Uh-huh. When I'm drunk. When I'm sober. Oh, you can't? I cannot. Ew. I, every time I look at the word, I try to say something that is not love. but do you hear me Diot love. Diot love. diatlov love it's it's simple it's easy
0: <laughs> you got it it's just like this it's, it's Diot love. but i
1: swear to you i thought this was going to be a really difficult episode for that one reason because of
0: the word yeah um you're doing great thanks okay the remaining group took their closed and seat seat sook sought <laughs> sought <laughs> <laughs> oh and my so... god that's hilarious
1: again I can only say "Diot love when I'm drunk apparently so Idiot. I'm not judging your seek slash thought
0: yeah it was early <laughs> in the morning when I wrote this that's not true it was like 10 a.m.
1: okay <laughs> Igor is at this time he's a 30 a 30 he's a 33 nope that says 20 Yep, Igor <laughs> and upon completion of these of these okay I'm struggling okay. here we go <laughs> Has anything that I've said so far sounded like robotic or bad? Should I do this whole thing again? No.
0: That was okay. the first thing that sounded weird. We now interrupt your regularly scheduled programs for funny sounds by Rachel. Discog. Disc. Disc. Disco. Is it disco or discographer? Did you just ask if it was disco?
1: We're driven to hy- hysteria. Really? Ha! Did The discoglafas! If that mouth math. If the are going Disc, discographers. Okay. Always the will. <laughs> Obviously there's a reason why this incident. Con- Ugh, let me do that again. Oh my God. It's saying I have no internet connection. Sorry, Leah. Uh, let me figure this out. I'll text you. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to text you. You're going to hear this recording later. Hold on. This is going to be a really boring thing to listen to. It's going to be really boring for you. Sorry, this is boring. (sighs) I might make Alex come in and help me. Can you hear me? There we go. Yes, I'm sorry. My internet cut out.